particularly excited about what the Lord is going to do and how he's going to carry us on this journey. And so if you remember last week, um, we dealt with some really difficult things. And it is um, true that this book in its own is a difficult book to work through. And some of the things that we dealt with are weighty. And some of the things that we will deal with are going to be weighty. But where we end up landing as a result is going to be to and for the glory of God. And so this week, if you've noticed the title of the sermon, it is called A Letter to Hypocrites. A Letter to Hypocrites. And so if last week was difficult, then this week is probably going to be a little bit difficult as well. But I know that it will get better as we work through this. And so today's sermon is entitled A Letter to Hypocrites. And so let me just start off by saying this before we even get going. If you aren't a hypocrite, then you really don't have anything to worry about. But if you fear that you might be a hypocrite, then this sermon might just be for you. Now, this sermon is not just to say that everyone is a hypocrite, no. But rather, it is a challenge for all of us to ensure that the professions that we make as Christians are real, are true, are legitimate, and that they are consistent with the lives that we say that we live as believers. You know, it is easy for us to slip into hypocrisy and not realize it. And so what we all need to do is have that joke to shock us back into reality. And in some ways, I hope that it heightens our sensitivity in regards to our brothers and sisters in the faith who actually might be slipping as well. So the scripture is Romans chapter 2. We're going to be at the very first verse. And this, as we read it, we'll read as a letter that Paul himself was writing to people who may have been hypocrites. It says this, Romans 2 and 1, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life, but for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also to the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also for the Greek, for God shows no partiality. That's right. Lord, as we get ready to jump into the word, um, Lord, help us look within ourselves and see all the opportunities and the potential we have to be hypocrites, God. Help us see all the ways that we might be deceiving ourselves or even 
failing you and thinking that the life that we say we live can be different than the life we actually live. Lord, help us know that ultimately you will judge the heart. And while our deeds may appear to be good, only you know if they come from a true, pure, and sincere heart. Help us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, the reason that I am calling this a letter is because it does read as a letter, and there are real specific parts that seem as if Paul is writing with a specific person in mind. Notice how he says that you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. If Paul is indeed talking to or about someone in particular here, then we need to at least think about who that might have been. Over the course of biblical history, we can see that in all of Jesus' confrontations with people, he confronted no group more than he confronted hypocrites. And those hypocrites tended to be the religious elite, those Jewish leaders who thought that the law applied to everybody else except for them. That really is the true definition of a hypocrite. In one sense, a hypocrite is one who believes that they can do something different than what they say they do. But the other truth of what a hypocrite is is that they think that other things that apply to other folk don't apply to them the way it applies to other folk. That is what a hypocrite is. And so keeping in step with that, Paul is actually confronting this group yet again. Remember, he'd been a part of that same group, those religious leaders who thought that they didn't have to do the stuff that they said other folks had to do. And even if you recall how elite he was in his position, when Stephen was being stoned, it was Paul who was garnering the approval of the people and even taking their coats, approving of the stoning. See, Paul knew what a hypocrite was because he had devoted his own life to religious elitism. So he knows that these people well enough know and realize just how unstable their footing is. And that was what he was addressing. But what was the basis of their footing? It was that they were right, they were approved of God because they did good stuff. They felt like they were on this trajectory to eternity, to spend an eternity with God because they had good deeds and good righteousness. And by the way, just in case you don't know, that's what the definition of self-righteousness is. Is that the reason you are right is because you are right. What do we mean when we say that? We don't just mean people who are trying to live right before the Lord. There is nothing wrong with trying to live as sin-free as possible. In fact, that is what we have been called to do. The problem happens is when you're trying to live as sin-free as possible and you think that that's the reason you are righteous. The Bible makes it clear. Our righteousness, apart from Jesus Christ, is like soiled, filthy, menstrual rags is the way it's described. If you are right in your own strength, your righteousness is filthy. And because of their own goodness, the self-righteous tend to think that they are in the rightful position to judge the way other people live 
if they aren't living the way that they do. That's who Paul is writing to here. And he is, by the way, issuing a warning. He says, you have no excuse, every one of you who judges. Now, this brings up a critical issue that has plagued Christian circles for a while now. And we're going to answer it in today's sermon. Are Christians called to judge? Now, you have probably been told, no, we as Christians are not to judge. And most often that reference comes from the word of Christ. But let's look at what Paul is saying here. But let's also look back at what Jesus actually said as opposed to what you think he said. In Matthew 7 and 1, Jesus says this. Let's listen clearly. He says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take this speck out of eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. And then you will clearly see to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So what is the point of what Jesus says here and how does it relate to Paul's point? Jesus saying here that as Christians in all circumstances that we should not judge other believers. No, he's actually not saying that. Essentially, his point is that however you are measuring someone else, you better know that's the same way that you will be measured. Whatever way that you are judging someone else, you better know that is the same way that you will be judged. So you can't say that the woman down the street is a bad mother because her, get, her kids get in trouble every now and again, but then when your child gets in trouble, you say kids will be kids. It don't work like that. You can't say that people need to be fired because they're late for work. But then when you're late, you say, but I got stuff going on. The same way that you hold other people to a standard, you must also be held to that same standard. And Jesus' whole point is that however you measure, everybody else needs to be the way that you measure yourself as well. And so he makes this point here. If you have a log in your eye, why in the world are you worried about a speck in somebody else's? I have heard perpetual adulterers have the nerve to complain about same-sex marriage as if they stand in any position to comment on the sanctity of marriage. We know it's wrong, but you can't come. Complain about it because you don't honor marriage either. The point, too, though, is not do not judge. If that were the point, he would have stopped right there. The point is that you should not be a hypocrite. You want to comment on marriage, be faithful in your own marriage. You want to come in about somebody else's kids, you better know your kids act bad too. You want to talk about people being late, but you know sometimes the train catch you too. 
You cannot address your brother or sister's issue if your issue is being covered up. You cannot be a hypocrite. He doesn't say, by the way, get the log out of your eye and then don't worry about your brother. That's actually not what he says. That's what we think he says. But he actually says, get the log out of your own eye first. So that you can clearly take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. There's this hunter's rule that you really shouldn't shoot at anything you don't actually see. And the reason is, is that you may cause more damage to something or someone that you didn't intend to cause because you couldn't clearly see what you were shooting at. Well, Jesus is actually saying something similar here. If you are blinded by your own sin, your own law, then when you try to get the speck out of somebody else's eye, you're probably going to end up getting more damage to them than you intended trying to get the speck blinded by your log, you might be prone to gouge out the whole eye. That's what Jesus' point is here. Paul's point to us is in this text that if you are judging others of the things of which you are also guilty, then you stand condemned as a hypocrite. And the Jewish people here understood this clearly. If you remember when Jesus is defending the woman who is found committing the act of adultery, he says something very interesting, something that we love to quote. You who is without sin, cast the first stone. And he says, look, woman, where are your accusers? Now, I want you to think about this. In the Jewish faith, what you could not do is participate in a stoning if you yourself were guilty of the same sin. So it wasn't just that they knew that she was guilty or that they were without sin. They knew that every single one of them in their hearts had lusted after another woman who wasn't their wife, probably that woman right there. And so when they say this, they knew that they couldn't stone her. And they also knew that sin wasn't just the act of adultery, but it was deeply permeating the heart to which Jesus says, if you even look at another woman with lust, you've already committed it in your heart. And they knew that if that was the standard, that every one of them stood guilty, condemned as a result of their sin. That's why Paul says that if we are judging others knowing of unresolved sin in our own lives, then we are condemning ourselves. And notice here that he doesn't just say that God's wrath is revealed like he said last week, but now he says that the hypocrites will rightfully be judged. See, Paul is playing on the fact that They are the ones who want to be busy doing the judgment, but they will be judged. And then he says the most important thing here that we all need to think about, that we all need to allow to get into our heads and our hearts. Do you suppose that you who judge others who do it, but practice them yourselves, do you think you're going to escape God's judgment? Well, why would someone think that they were going to escape God's judgment? Why would someone think that they could avoid that? Well, it's connected to the other running theme that we've seen. 
God gives all people a common grace. And that means people who don't know the Lord can reap the benefits of a nice life. You don't have to know Christ to be rich. You don't have to know Christ to be happy. You don't have to know Christ to be successful. You can be a sinner and do all those things. Unbelievers get married all the time. They have children all the time. They get money all the time. They have longevity. And for many of them, we see them living, even on the highest stage, rich lives in opposition to God. And you know what they think? I've won. I've escaped the judgment of God. But this is also not just for them, by the way. This is for those of us who may be in this room, the hyper-religious who may be secretly harboring their own unrepentant sin. This is every pastor that believes that they are God's holy hound dog, but never turn the dogs on themselves. Paul says that for such ones, there is judgment coming. This judgment is that eternal judgment in hell that awaits those who deny the saving work of Christ. The idea here is that while they may not face the judgment and justice on this earth, they will face it eternally. So why? Why is God not not revealing the depth of this judgment now? Because I've had a hard time understanding how a man like Hitler could kill 6.2 million people and he doesn't suffer anything. Where is justice? Where is judgment? And why does God not pronounce his judgment on the wicked? Well, first, if God were to pronounce such judgment on the wicked, In the immediacy of their sin, not a single one of us would be here in this room and saved. We would all be dead. But secondly, he gives them time. He gave us time to repent. And this leads back naturally to another reference that I made earlier. So if we are, as believers, called to judge as Christians, then why do we judge and who do we judge? Let's go to scripture again in 1 Corinthians 5 and 9. And I want you to hear this because Paul is making a very real point that we have to understand if we're going to be real true Christians. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with the sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world. He said, I wasn't talking about them. He says, I wasn't talking about the greedy or the swindlers or the idolaters. For in order to do that, you would actually have to leave the world. So first of all, he's saying, I'm not telling you not to associate with people who do these things, who live in the world. What would what would you expect them to do? He said, in order to do that, you'd have to actually leave the world. He says, but who was I talking about? He says, but I was talking about you shouldn't associate yourself with anyone who bears the name of a brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or is greedy or is an idolater or a reviler or drunkard or a swindler. I said not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside the church? It is it not those 
inside the church whom you are called to judge. God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Now, this is important because if you've never read this text and you have some views about what happens in church and how you should look at other people's lives, this is going to shake that up. He's saying, listen, I didn't mean that you should not associate with people who are sinful, who are in the world. How in the world will they know the truth if you don't associate with them, if you don't eat with them, if you don't fellowship with them? How would they know that they are living in a wrong way if you don't tell them? He said, but when I told you not to deal with certain folk, I was talking about people who are in the church and doing that stuff. He says, see, those are the hypocrites. And when you fellowship with them, people who are outside think that you are giving approval of what they do. And to the person who is in the room, who is a hypocrite and professing to be a Christian, he said, I told you, don't even eat with them. Get them out. Purge the evil person from among you. Why? Why? Because if you allow a person like that to stay within the church, it makes you look like you're giving approval to the things they do. How could I reasonably get up here and stand up in this pulpit and say that there are things that this Bible has proclaimed are true and right and just and there are things that are wrong and let somebody I know doing wrong get up here and sing, preach, play, do whatever. He said, those who are outside the church, God judges them. We have been called to judge other believers. But why? To hold them accountable. Why do we baptize believers? It's to show, this is a demonstration publicly, that I am saying that I am in line with the faith. And so if I see so-and-so doing something they shouldn't be doing, this is not a time for me to say that's their life. If I love them, I will confront them and say, this is not in line with the profession of faith that you made. Now, why would I do that? Because I hate them? No, because I love them. If I hated them, I would just let them do whatever they wanted to do. You see, there are only two reasons you wouldn't say something to somebody you knew wasn't living the way they should be living. One, you wouldn't say something because either you don't really love them or you're doing the same thing they're doing. Let's say you have a friend who went to the doctor and they said, listen, Doctor told me I need to change some stuff. I'm on a bad track, not eating well, body's not doing right, not living well. I just got to eat better, got to do better, got to exercise, got to lose some weight, got to do all these things. I got to make some lifestyle changes. You say, okay. And then let's say you saw that same person consistently, five weeks in a row. You had McDonald's every day. I thought your doctor said you're supposed to eat better. The only reason you wouldn't say anything to them is, one, you didn't have McDonald's every day, too. Or you don't care how they live. 
The true testament of our walk as Christians is, look, we're not sinless. But we are supposed to hold each other accountable. Because there are too many hypocrites in the church. It makes the church nothing more than standing water. And it handicaps our growth. If I could be candid, I've seen too many times in too many churches, too many preachers, too many pastors, too many play, people playing the organ, playing keyboard, playing the drums, who get up there and think that this is some honorable service to God when you don't even act like you know the Lord outside of the church. You think that's honorable? It's not. You think God receives that worship? No. You're a hypocrite. When Paul speaks of the judgment, he says this. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also to the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. Let's think about this because I've heard a lot of people say that unbelievers and believers will be judged by their works. But let me clear some things up before that so you don't think that that needs to be your motivation. Unbelievers will be judged only by the works that they have done alone. That's it. And they think that that is how that they will be approved of God. And while they are right that they will be judged by those works, it will actually be those works that condemn them. This is why Jesus warns us not to be like the hypocrites. The hypocrite is the one who, I'm going to go feed the homeless and take more selfies than they actually feed the homeless. Hey, I'm fasting. Let me fix my face in a way so you can know how deep and spiritual I am to let you know I'm fasting. Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites who do their works to be seen by other people. They have their reward. This is why and this is how we might clearly spot counterfeit Christians. These are those people who would never let their good deeds go unseen. There's always a camera. There's always a post. There's always something drawing attention to themselves. But Jesus warns that by receiving the approval of men, they've received their reward. Their works will indeed be judged. But they will not be judged against the sinfulness of other sinful men. They will be judged against the perfection of Jesus Christ. And if your works don't meet the standard of Christ, you will face the judgment of God. And I do have some news to break. Nobody in this room has enough good works that will reach or meet the standard of Jesus Christ. So how are we saved? Because now, for those of us who have been redeemed, for those of us who will stand before the Lord, we will not give an account of the works that we did. 
we will declare, how did you get here? Christ will ask, and I will tell him, I am here because of you. How are you saved? What did you do in order to save yourself? And I will declare nothing. Nothing. This is why in that text it says, who will be turned away? It's going to be the people who think that their works made them righteous. I cast out demons. I did stuff. I did good works. I was healing people. I was having conversations about the gospel. That's why I'm here. And you know what he's going to say? Depart. Because if that's why you're here, then you don't belong to be here. We, as Christians, who know that we have been judged and made righteous based on the works of Christ, how do we avoid hypocrisy? We have to live in the humility knowing that we are not saved because of anything that we have done, but we are saved because of what Jesus has done for us. Without Jesus, we are hypocrites only, left to our own devices, incapable of being or doing right. But when Jesus saved us, he saved us unto good works. Y'all, he saved us so that we don't have to hide behind a veil of faulty works, but that we can live freely as the Christians that he has called us and created us to be. There are many of us, maybe there are some in this room, who are living under that veil of good works. There are many of us who are disguising ourselves as real Christians and there are even Christians right now who are trying to hide behind the image that we've created. But the call for us as Christians, the call I must face, the call we all must face, is that we have been called to be real, to be authentic, to be legitimate, to not be hypocrites. And so while this is a letter to hypocrites, I pray this letter is not for you. Let's pray. Lord, as we have heard the word, God, as we have probably even wrestled with this word, Lord, it is so easy for us to fall into hypocrisy. God, it is really easy for us to judge people and measure with the a weight and a measurement that we are not being measured or holding ourselves up to as well. Because you make it clear, you are not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that's what he reaps. That's what he reaps. Lord, I don't want to be deceived. I don't want anybody in this room to be deceived if they think that their salvation is held up by their good works, God, I pray that you will cause those good works to collapse so that at the end of the day, the only thing that remains and is there is you. God, for the Christians in this room who may be slipping into hypocrisy, who may be doing or watching or saying things that we don't want other people to know about, 
and still trying to live as if we're good, Lord, expose us. Let us have the freedom to go to a brother or sister in Christ and let them know that we're not doing all right. Knowing that they can meet us with grace, love, mercy, and words that are seasoned with salt. Because God, the truth is, I'm no more spiritual than anybody else. I can be deceived. But you can't be. God, only you and you alone will judge the heart. So if if there's anybody in this room today who doesn't know you, Lord, my prayer is that this word will prick their hearts and they will come into the knowledge of the truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.